What's going on, everyone, and welcome to episode 51 of the Bench Time Podcast with Todd and Brett Wiley of HO Scale Customs. I have my dad waiting on the line um, with one of our podcast guests, our newest guests. We're very excited to get him on the show. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But quickly, I got a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, as always, you can head on over to our Patreon page if you love what we're doing. Uh, get some exclusive content, get some goodies on there. It's patreon.com forward slash HO Scale Customs. And also, new to this show... New to the Bench Time podcast, we have a brand new, it's really cool, it's cool guys, so I'm going to stop talking about it, I'm going to tell you about it. We have the official Bench Time podcast voicemail line, so this is your chance as a listener to call in, you won't get us live, it'll be a voicemail, uh, a recorded line, and leave us a message. You can leave us a question, a comment, just some encouragement, really whatever, try to be nice, uh, if you're not nice, we won't play it on the show. But what we'll do is we will allow our listeners to get a chance to um, kind of get their voice on the show. So the number for that, you guys, is 717-601-2348, and I will also have that in the show description. So, again, give us a call, shoot us a question, whatever you want to do. It is our official Bench Time Podcast voicemail line. So hit that up, bring it on. Uh, with that, we are going to get into our guest of the week. It is Jake Johnson. Uh, he does a lot of modeling uh, professionally and for his own. And you'll see his stuff. It's all over Facebook. Uh, and chances are, if you've been, well, we'll talk about it. You might have seen his work if you've been to a couple pretty big destinations in the area, um, either globally or even in the United States. So we're going to jump into our interview with Jake Johnson, and then we will see you on the other side. Okay, now we are going to introduce our Next podcast guest for episode 51 here, um, we have Jake Johnson on the line with us. He is um, known for doing some dimensional design work at the Disney Model Shop. He also was a modeler on the Robot Chicken show on Cartoon Network, I believe. Or is that on Cartoon Network or Adult Swim? Both. Okay. And you were also a model maker at Mattel Toys. So there's a lot, and I know you have a lot more on your resume as I was checking out some of your work. So welcome to the show, Jake, and we are super excited to get to talk to everything that you've done. Oh, cool. This is going to be a lot of fun. I know my dad (laughs) met you. I I apologize I wasn't able to be there whenever he met you, but um, uh, I know he he spoke high praise of you, so we... We, I have a, I have a million questions for you. So we're, this is good. Well, I was at the, I was at the expo, right, uh, right, and up in um, Albany, and uh, I was at, um, oh, I'll say it, I was at the bar at the hotel, and uh, having uh, some a, a beverage with uh, actually a couple of beverages with the uh, a couple other milers, some of our show listeners, and um, uh, some milers as well, and some of the some of the people that were, uh, you know. Um, kit manufacturers, that type of thing. And Jake come walking right up and, uh, you know, introduced himself and, you know, and said he, he listened to our show and, and he, and he, you know, he asked where you were, Brett. And, um, and I, you know, and, and I remember it clearly. So I didn't have that many uh, beverages <laughs> and at that point. And, uh, well, but, and, and it was great. And then he started showing me these photos of the work he's done. And then he said, you know, that, you know, he has done some work with, he worked for Disney and he, you know, and some other places. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. We talked and talked for a while. And, um, and then, you know, I was like, I have to, I have to ask you <laughs> if you would be a guest on the show, because this is some great stuff. I mean, where do you get, you know, we all like to consider ourselves good milers, 
Okay, and we we dream of and think of the day that we could be a professional modeler and do this for a living. Okay, and then here is a guy, just walks up at the expo and says, "This is what I do for a living," you know. Uh-huh. And, and, and he's showing me this stuff, and I'm thinking, "Oh, this is this is this is so cool." He's like, the, he's got the dream job, you it's know? Pretty cool, like like Dave, like Dave Frary. I mean, it's that fun. kind of thing. So yeah, amazing. So let's actually dive into that. So, um, if you don't mind, Jake, do you, would you would you mind giving us a quick, uh, kind of a background of how you got into what you're doing now, or a kind of you know the 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 Spark Notes version of how you got to where you're at today. Okay, so uh, years and years ago, I wandered into a bookstore in, in uh, Santa Monica, and I was kind of going through some uh, a little career transition, and I picked up a book about Walt Disney Imagineering, and I started to thumb through it, and all of a sudden, I noticed that Walt Disney Imagineering had a model shop, and I went, wow, a model shop, I could do that. <laughs> so um, wasn't that easy. Uh, I, I went in for an interview, and uh, they didn't hire me. And I'm kind of glad they didn't at the time because I didn't have the experience I needed. So I was kind of doing some uh, prop work and 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 things like that behind the scenes in the entertainment industry. And I met someone who worked at Mattel. And, of course, first question I ask is, well, does Mattel have a model shop? And the answer was yes. And so I went to work there at Mattel. And you can see one of those images on my um Facebook page or the uh, Google Photos page is the second one of that big Spanish house with all the lights on it. Yeah, yes, that was my, yeah, that was my first paying model job right there. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. I got pretty lucky on that one, and uh, I built that for them, and that turned into uh, a number of years of work building miniature sets for their product photography. So you can see the next one that's that street. That's a Barbie sized street. We would build stuff for Barbie, for Hot Wheels, for some of the other products and we would build a background that the toys would be uh toys would be put in front of that background and this is before uh, a lot of photoshop and things like that so, right. so this what is the one with the barber pole yes yes okay that was yeah so what you were seeing you were saying it's a, it was during a time before a lot of photo editing or photoshop so what you're seeing in those photos for the products was actually just raw real uh yeah. modeling and for, On- just photography and modeling work yeah, and before we get going too far, and he answers that question, you have a lot of photos on here. Is this something we should, could be able to share with the listeners at all? Or I think so. Yeah, okay. yeah. If not, to... we'll figure out a way, and uh, we'll right. see. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll straighten have to that out. Some photos. Yeah. So. so those photos, those Mattel photos, they ended up inside of a Barbie box. So you bought Barbie, and she's standing in the box, and behind Barbie is this photo oh and my gosh on a curved piece of cardboard i i hate to tell you that i've collected the two barbie boxes <laughs> that i did somewhere among my train models here in place. no that's perfectly cool i got barbie dolls sitting up here they belong to my wife but they're above, they're in my train room on the shelf so well, yeah, now, yeah. You, now you can add a couple more to your collection i'll tell you which one <laughs> well i uh i will i'm not I'm proud to say, and I'm not proud to say, that my house is full of Barbies with two girls. So, ah, fair enough. You won't want them to get these. <laughs> so, so that's cool. So, you you started working at Mattel, and you were doing modeling with Mattel. Yeah, um, it was a, it was a great place to kind of cut my teeth and just learn a bunch of skills, and and uh, th- that I didn't already have as a builder. 
in a more professional commercial setting. Right. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm looking for, uh, you know, I'm in between Mattel projects, and I find an ad on Craigslist for somebody that's doing a stop motion uh, feature film. And I work on that film. And then all of those people working on that film rolled right into Robot Chicken. And I worked for Robot Chicken for a number of years, built a lot of miniature sets for Robot Chicken and a show called Moral Oral and a Robot Chicken Star Wars special. That's very cool. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, down and dirty, get it done quickly, uh, long hours kind of building to make that stuff happen. Yeah, I'm sure the turnaround time for some of that stuff, especially for uh, a show production like that, could be pretty, pretty quick and pretty aggressive. Yeah, well, there was a lot of set recycling and and uh, shortcuts and things where it's like, well, this isn't my show quality model work, but it still looks good enough on camera. Now, and <laughs> now, now, I do have one question that. So I don't know if my dad's watched that show. I have. I have not. I've never heard of it. I I Maybe, have you know, I have I'm, watched I'm, the show. I'm an old dinosaur. I've seen the show, and I have a I have a couple questions. Um, maybe not about technique, but just. Just for and you might be able to answer this, you might not. What was the scale of that show if you think about it in the modeling perspective? So if if you were to build a set for that show, what was the scale for that show? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably mess this one up. <laughs> uh, Robot Chicken was built with Mego figures, okay? Okay. Mego figures are smaller than Barbie and bigger than the newer G.I. Joes. So I, I think there were like 1 to 15 scale. But, okay. you know, I'm sure we're going to do some re- research on here and find out otherwise. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, and that's a that's a pretty good general size. But I, I did, I've seen the show, and I've never really – you don't really know how small or big something is like that when you're watching it on your 50-inch TV. So that's pretty cool that you uh, – you know, it is a, little, a lot smaller than what it looks like. Okay, thanks to the uh, beauty of the internet. They were one to nine scale. One to nine. Okay. Wow. They're one to nine scale. Now, that being said, that was most of the characters, but we shot with 12 inch figures. We shot with smaller scale G.I. Joes. We shot with whatever toys the writers wanted to throw up there on the screen. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's definitely not, uh, it's a little bit unorthodox of a, of a show. As far as uh, as far as I'm sure I'm sure the rules with what 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 went and what didn't went were pretty loose. So uh, fast and loose, absolutely. You know, <laughs> lots of uh, lots of interesting humor. Um, Definitely. Gosh, what else was I going to add to that whole thing? We used to custom. We, we found a sculptor that would custom sculpt the celebrity heads that were on Robot Chicken. Oh my and gosh. so if you look and watch the show, they're Mego figures, and they would sculpt any different actor that was in a show. And they weren't just the toy heads. They would they would get them professionally sculpted by these guys who do the uh, really fine uh, portraits, and then and then our uh, paint and puppet department would right. paint these characters. So cool. That's awesome. That's so cool. Now, I will just say my dad needs to go just watch an episode or two just to I'm understand to. what I we're just talking about. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go YouTube and we'll open it your eyes to that. Oh yeah. Watch, yeah. watch one of the Robot Chicken Star Wars episodes. That okay. was a lot of fun. We got to uh, make fun of Star Wars and make some really cool Star Wars sets 
And one of the perks was uh, we all got to go visit George Lucas's uh, oh. movie ranch and get a free lightsaber. Oh, uh, well, there you, the film. that alone is a perk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow, what a, what a yeah. cool so, thing to be able to do. So, so you so you were on the set of Robot Chicken, and then um, what came next? What was, like, your next uh, big move in the modeling world, in the model building world? <laughs> The next move was to go to Walt Disney Imagineering. Uh, we had a show get canceled about halfway through the season. And so I was like, you know, I want to work somewhere where I can, uh, you know, build some really nice models. And Walt Disney Imagineering was the place. And I had some friends there and, and made some contacts that made that happen. And I worked there for about uh, six and a half years. Obviously, your second interview went way better than, than your first. Uh, as yeah. far as you got the job the next time, so so it actually was cool because you, yeah. it's cool that you didn't get it the first time around because you got to work on some really cool projects um, prior to getting back to Disney. I'd have been over my head knowing what I know now if they'd have hired me the first time. Gotcha. Right. It was better that I got hired the second time. I had a lot more skill and and uh, under my belt. And so it really helped out. And I had a much better portfolio to show. It wasn't uh, all of my hobby models. This By this time, I had real work to show the, yeah, the, right. the industry experience. And, that, and that's great. You build up, a, you know, you said you build up a portfolio and you're able to present them with something that they can tangibly, you know, uh, see what your work is like and know you're the right fit. That's awesome. Yeah. What, yeah. what a dream to be able to say that you, you know, you wanted to work for them, and now, you know, at the time, you're working for them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really cool. And you, you literally earned your way in. You know, mm -hmm. that is so cool. Definitely. Now, yeah. while you were at Disney, um, well, the, I'm sorry. The, uh... <coughs> oh my gosh, we'll cut that out. <laughs> I was drinking my coffee and I must have, my coffee's got some needles in it. So I was choking on it. Uh, all right. So while you were at Disney, you, you did some displays, obviously. Um, I, you sent us kind of some of your, your photos that you did some stuff with Disneyland. You did a couple, uh, layouts, I guess with them. Um, do you want to kind of get into what you did there. I, the one I th I'm really intrigued at is uh, the Thunder Mountain pictures you sent us. Uh, oh, with the dinosaur. That's a lot. I'll, I'll tell you that story. So, um, years ago, I worked at Disneyland. Okay. And I, I was a big Thunder Mountain ride operator. So I loaded and unloaded all the guests as an attractions operator at Big Thunder. Now, this was prior to your job as a model oh, yeah. at Disney. Okay. Yeah, this is this is out of college. Oh so, wow, that's even really cool. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So I did that, and and so I always kind of liked the design of Big Thunder, and Big Thunder was designed by Tony Baxter, and Tony Baxter uh, was a pretty uh, prolific Imagineer. He got to design Big Thunder Mountain, Indiana Jones, and some other ones that I should remember off the top of my tongue. I uh, tip of my tongue, I can't recall, but. He, he's done quite a bit there. Anyway, so I worked on the ride. I was very familiar with it. I heard this project was coming up, and they were going to put this uh, model 
on display at the hotel at Disneyland. And I'm like, I have to be part of that. I know where to get all the train stuff. I'm all over this. I know how to do it. I pitched it to my boss and some other people, and they brought me on. So we went to the archives and found old drawings of the original Big Thunder, mm -hmm. and we found drawings of Rainbow Ridge, which was a mine train that was at the Big Thunder location, but it wasn't a roller coaster. And a lot of those structures that you see there, mm -hmm. they came from the Nature's Wonderland uh, Rainbow Ridge attraction that was built back in the 50s. Wow, wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, so they're, 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 they're old structures. There. Yeah, they're old structures. And you'll see there's a prop there that I built. It's a little steam boiler with a, uh, with a cow catcher. Mm -hmm. That was used in a movie called Hot Lead and Cold Feet. And Don Knotts and Tim Conway race these things against some other villain in the movie. And two of those full-size props ended up on the Big Thunder attraction. And I had to make those models. There were some other guys that worked on this project, but I kind of earmarked all the cool railroad and structure stuff to do myself on this model. That's that's amazing. So, you, so that, you're going to like this. Badass. I'm staring at it now. You're going to like this one really funny uh, <clears throat> thing that you just said, and I'm going to bring it up. Uh, you said Don Knotts was in what, – what, what movie <laughs> was that again? He was in a movie called Hot Lead and Cold Feet. Right. And I've seen so, that, by the way. So I'm old. <laughs> just, just as a, a, a funny, cool, and, and interesting side note, my grandfather, my late grandfather who passed away last year, his name is actually Don Knotts, same spelling, everything else. Wow. My, wife's, my wife's father, yeah. <laughs> no relation. But, my father-in-law. Uh, uh, it's not the Don Knotts from the films, but uh, <laughs> once you said that, I was like, ah, I got to mention that. My grandfather's name was yeah. Don Knotts, so that's pretty, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Neat, neat. So we got the original drawings. I went down to the park one day before it was open, and I took 500 pictures all over the attraction before I got started. And so we had those as a reference. I had been collecting images already because I was kind of a big Thunder fan. And someone had asked me years ago to build them a big Thunder model, very similar to the one we did but we couldn't agree on the numbers. And so that project kind of fell through and it was always kind of one of those things that was lingering in my mind to, to be a part of and, and to model. I've gotten it out of my system. I don't ever have to make another big thunder model again. <laughs> you but, did it uh, and it's good and it's, that's enough. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I, I knew that my railroad friends in the area would be looking at this model. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, there's a lot of criticism about things that get done at the park on all these message boards. And there's a model of the park built in 1955. And all the Disney fans just really had to put in their two cents worth as to how that model appeared. And I thought, oh, great. So they're going to scrutinize my <laughs> model here, too. You know? And uh, I, I'm like, I've got to get everything right. So I took all these pictures. I wanted every detail to be in the in the proper place. I got details that are O scale, H O scale, S scale, and some scratch built ones all over the model. There's a hidden Mickey in the model. That's in the right place set up just the way. And before I say that this is my model, I should add, uh, there's two other model makers I worked with who, who had quite a bit of experience uh, working for Disney before I got there. Okay. That 
were very influential right. in building uh, uh, some other portions of this model. Oh, that's awesome. That is truly, truly, really cool that you were able to incorporate some of your model riveting uh, tricks and skills into something along that lines. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, now, and what scale would that be? I mean, generally. One... Okay, so that's a quarter-inch O-scale model. Yeah. Okay. The buildings that you see that are part of the little Rainbow Ridge Village, mm-hmm. they're half-scale, so they actually work out to be HO scales. There's a lot of HO scale doors and windows on those structures. Right. And uh, the flex track, which is the coaster track, mm-hmm. that's actually SN3 track. And uh, we'll talk about SN3 later, maybe, but uh, that's SN3 flex track. I brought all these pieces of flex track in and all these different scales. And I'm like, which one do you like? And they looked at the SN3 flex track and they said, that's the one we want. So very cool. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, that's sweet. Well, I'm impressed by it. So that that those stood out to me as I scrolled through the photos you sent us. And uh, uh, you the couple of pictures that you sent of it, I could look at for probably all day and not see the same thing twice which is probably what's most amazing about it Um, you'll probably find a lot of images online that i didn't put up there these are just kind of my favorites because i built the depot the the steam donkey and and those uh rainbow ridge structures right there's a lot of cool stuff on there there's a little goat on there that's got a piece of dynamite in his mouth i made sure he was on there (laughs) you know there's a there's a leather hide hanging on a leather shop and you don't see it in the photo, but I went out and cut a tiny little piece of leather, the same profile as this half side of a leather uh, hide, and I glued it onto the side of a building. It's like, this is, I know it's there. It's got to be there, and I, I'm going to find a piece <laughs> of leather, and I'm going to put it on there. So, No, nah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's um, so cool. So I love that you even had the ride car on this for the ride itself, and... It has the little people sitting in it, and uh, the uh, it looks like the the uh, area where they they run the actual train. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is this uh, you can see the uh, the um, I don't know much about mining, but it looks like uh, you know the water where the mine the wood ramps where the water. I don't know anything about mining. Yeah, uh, where the where you know where water rushes down. Where you know. I guess it's a um, a viaduct of some sort, and uh, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah, I'm getting ahead of you, probably. <laughs> no, it's it's. Oh, that's cool. It's and you have good. a dinosaur. There's a dinosaur stuck in the side of the uh, one mountain. What's that all yeah. about? I mean, how did you do that? Well, that's actually there in the attraction. So uh-huh. it's at the ride. It's when you go through there, you see the little train. It's oh, uh, it's splat. You get splashed, and there's some water effects there that kind of oh, splash. Yeah. And, uh, we needed to find a dinosaur or sculpt it, and it was one of those questions where uh, how's this going to happen? Who's got time to do it? And uh, the guy who was in charge of the project found the dinosaur on Amazon, and so we uh, <laughs> bought the dinosaur, set it into the uh, foam. And uh, there we have our uh, our dinosaur. I ended up sculpting little dinosaur eggs. The beauty of Amazon. Oh, I yeah. see the eggs, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. You know, and that's because I took 
all those pictures and all those pictures is like okay there's some eggs there here's the picture i'll, I'll just make some and put them in <laughs> oh my word that is that is a really 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 cool and the buildings i mean they're spectacular definitely um, and a little bit of force perspective there on the scales on some of that, which is kind of cool, I guess. Yeah. 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 Disney uses a lot of force perspective all throughout the park. Mm -hmm. um, it, this is this is quite a, quite a bit of force perspective being at half scale, but I think sure. it's more about uh, giving giving you some atmosphere and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. We had a painter come in because we have painters, which kind of means that the model makers don't get to paint anything. Um, <laughs> Uh, that came in and hand painted all those structures and put all the lettering on there. There was oh, a lot wow. of talk about getting decals and everything, and he just went in and hand painted it, and he, he did a really amazing job. Wow, he I had see. photographs to work from, thanks to me. But uh, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, five hundred photographs. I'll yeah. do it. So you did a lot of work, and we I talked about your Big Thunder Mountain display over at Disneyland. Um, was there any other work that you've done with Disney that you um, kind of wanted? to talk about here on the show or or any other modeling work with Disney that you just wanted to talk about? Uh, one of the cool things I got to do at Disney was uh, I was the lead model maker for a 1 to 15 scale model of uh, Shanghai Pirates of the Caribbean. And oh, so we got to build an interior uh, model for that. Oh, neat. Now, where was yeah. that model used? Well, the model was built in Glendale, and then it was shipped to Shanghai. And I got to go to Shanghai and open up the crates and show oh all of gosh. the uh, designers how, uh, and builders, fabricators, how they were, you know, how everything's supposed to look. <laughs> that's so, pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's great. A lot of crates. It was a lot of crates because every crate had a 4 by 8 table, and it's 1 to 15 scale. I think there was like 15 or 20 crates, and that was just one ride. That's not all the other attractions that were in all the other lands that we had to go and uh, uh, present. That's amazing. So, oh, cool. yeah. A lot of work in that. So so you've done a lot with Disney, and you've done a lot with a few other things we've talked about, but let's actually get into what you've done on your own, for your own pleasure, for your own modeling. Sure. sure. Um, what what do you do? What scale do you normally work in for your own layout? Um, I know you sent us some pictures, so let's kind of get into that. How, how long ago was it that you got into model rubbering, and how that how that start? Well, uh, Dad got the uh, Lionel train for me at Christmas. Everyone's story starts that way. I love it. And he couldn't put it together, so I ended up having to grab it out of the closet and show him that I could put it together. And uh, you know, luckily. I played trains with my mom, but my dad is partly responsible for taking me to railroad places, or or, or at least maybe I just kind of spoke up enough, uh, uh -huh. being the oldest kid. So we went to Durango, and I really fell in love with Narrow Gauge. Knott's Berry Farm was very close uh, when I was growing up, so they you get on the train, and it's Narrow Gauge, and they rob the train. So my interest in trains in the Old West kind of you know uh, simmered out of that. Um, and then, uh, when I was in grade school, they showed us a movie and it was the making of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And they talked about how they made the movie, how they robbed the train, riding the horses, shooting the guns, jumping off and on the trains. And 
all the things that went into movie making. And I think that was another thing that really kind of appealed to me was getting involved in movie making uh, as well as, uh, you know, railroads and, and uh, the old West. So anyway, got the train set, you know, all of a sudden there's that third rail. So I've got to get an HO train set. I get an HO train set, play with that for a while. And then uh, if you guys haven't already been through this, like most of us, Around 15 or 16, a cars and girls are more important. Than- <laughs> ah, yeah. That went through with Brett when I tried to teach him. <laughs> model railroad no, never, never. 12 or, 12 or 13, and then, you know, it might have been 13 or 14. And then after that, we had like a year of it. We were building some models, and and then and all of a sudden, it was girls, cars. Oh, and he played hockey all the time. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that. So, hockey yeah, took so, over. Yep. Hockey, girls and cars. Yep. <laughs> and and be- before the cars, I was starting to get into HON3 because I, you know, obviously had this narrow gauge connection and I was interested in building nicer, better models and and a little bit more authenticity or at least true to form with what I liked. And I started to get back into SN3 sometime in college. I, I started building some stuff in my spare time. And and really found out that SN3 uh, was a lot of fun, and then dropped the hobby after building a contest model because this was before the internet, and it was like all I was doing was at home alone building models. It's just like I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I got involved in the single action cowboy shooting, and it was like wow, I get to do all these artistic creative things with my hobby, and I get to go out and hang out with folks. Oh yeah, fun doing that. And then that came to an end, and I all of a sudden discovered eBay. And I was like, oh, trains I had when I was a kid, and I got back into SN3, and I started to build models, and I wanted to figure out how to become a professional model maker. After working on uh, these feature films, I decided I, I kind of wanted to work on model making in the entertainment industry. So uh, should we get back to my modeling, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Do that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I, I really got to the point where I like to work with with wood and craftsman kits, which I know we can all relate to. And sure. you can see one of those models on my page. There's a there's a model there, and I was really inspired by John Olson and um, John Allen. They they like to build those swayback cars, and so yeah. I built this wooden passenger car that had a sag in the floor and it's a really subtle sag and had to scratch build all the windows. And it was basically these kits in SN3 early on were sticks in a box and some instructions and some castings. And so they really forced you to become a really good quality uh, model maker. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I learned how to do this stuff, and I got really inspired by some other narrow-gauge modelers. And one of those models uh, went to a narrow-gauge convention and was in the contest, and I've got a trophy around here for it somewhere. And (laughs) then that ended up in a magazine article in uh, a publication called SN3 Modeler. Is that the the Rio Grande car? Yeah, it's one of those two. There's a green one and a red one. They both basically... Excuse me. They both basically came out of the same kits. Uh-huh. It's just they're different versions. There, those coaches uh, finally made it into work service in the 1940s or 30s. 
and they're kind of a rundown car. Uh, at, at that time, the platforms were cut off the one car and turned into work service cars. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. I see that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, beautiful work on that. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I just found SN3 to be a really nice scale, a little bit bigger than HO, not as big and, and uh, space-consuming as O scale. Uh -huh. uh, really a great operator scale, too. And I got to tell you, when I went to the uh, expo, after building an S for so long, I looked around. I was like, oh, I can't wait. I got to go peek in here and see all this stuff. <laughs> Everything was, you know, HO scale for the most part. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this stuff is so small. <laughs> it is. I mean, what did you what did you think about the, uh, the expo itself? I, I really loved it because, you know, I, I kind of feel like we're all kind of preaching to the choir here. It, you know, I, I've been to many narrow gauge conventions, and they're the narrow gauge conventions and the expo are kind of close cousins in my uh, my book. So um, right, right. I really enjoyed it. I felt very at home because I was watching all these people do all of this high level of quality work, and I really wanted to see how it was done. Uh, maybe we'll talk about this later, but you know, I'm I'm toying with the idea of, of creating some laser cut structure kits, and I really wanted to see the best of the best yeah right there and you know if i if i come out with a kit who am i competing against and i don't want to copy anybody but i want to make sure that you know i'm at the level that i feel is appropriate for right. my modeling skill and the kind of expectations you i want it to be box. you want it to be unique but you also want it to be to fall in line with what what else is out there yeah in in the same class or category without I don't a... think you're going to have an issue with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, uh, you're not going to have an issue there's with plenty that. <laughs> there's plenty of subjects to to model, so I, yeah, I, I think word. it's good. Yeah, yeah, your your, your work is uh, so uh, extremely skilled. So I kind of wanted to, if you don't mind me asking, um, you sure. did. I'm I'm very interested in asking you about this Pennsylvania steel mill display, only because well, it's not. I think it's a model that you did of a steel mill out of a Newcastle PA. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, gosh. This is, you know, this I might did, be going back. Research. Um, this, I only, this is a project I worked on a year ago for about a year. Okay. And trying to think of the names. There's the Gateway. Uh, you have the Mesta Machine Works. That's the Machine Works Gateway Tower. I, I just I can't remember the uh, some of the some of the other names of that area, but this was supposed to be the largest steel mill that this gentleman wanted modeled, um, uh, where the Union Railroad is. Okay. Now, and and I I'll, and I'll take a quick side note to this. I'm only interested in it because our area is full of old steel mills like this. Um, Wow. 20 minutes down the street from us in Harrisburg is is Steelton, PA, which obviously in the name Steelton, yeah, uh, yeah. there is a Bethlehem. monstrous, there is a monster steel mill in Steelton. Bethlehem Steel is right down is right down the road from that. Um, you go up to the Reading and Wilkesbury Scranton area. There's a ton of it. So in our area, there is a there's a lot of buildings that look like what you did with the mess the machine works. Um, so I'm just very interested in that. Well, so here, here's how it started. Uh, a, 
a client came into the train shack and they're the ones that I uh, do a lot of the model railroading projects with and, and mm -hmm. the store owner, one of the store owners leads their, um, their, you know, custom model railroad building uh, department division, whatever you want to call it, um, their shop. Right. And so he asked us for this uh, Pennsylvania railroad display and, uh, one of my friends, who's also a member of the same club I was part of, he got on and involved early and started to do all the historical research. And so by the time I got there, they were ready to have me build structures because they had photographs and some dimensions of some things that they that they had there. And I worked on that project for about a year. Okay. And so I built these mess to machine works, the Gateway Tower, a uh, number of these structures, tried to incorporate some laser cutting and some scratch building and some uh, drawing with Adobe Illustrator to really kind of tie all this together. Ended up being a massive 12 foot by 34 foot static display. Yeah, it's monstrous. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm standing, if you're, if you're wondering why I'm quiet, I'm looking at the photos and I'm just- Sure, jaw, sure. My jaws dropped. I mean, I already checked this out like a, a couple, a well, week or two ago. And like I said, I'm only interested in it. Not, I mean, it's, it's amazing work, so I can't discount that, but- for me and my dad, I'm, I'm sure as well, uh, in our area, we have a lot of architecture that looks like this. So yeah. uh, we're yeah. from kind of the steel country, the steel belt area sure. of, the, sure. of the country. So it's it's very much at home for us when we see that. And it's cool that you're out west um, and you're modeling something so close to our backyard, basically. Oh, that, yeah, that's neat. Uh, it's just it's very cool to see that, like the keystone you put the keystone artwork up in some of the art some of the signs and oh sure, uh, yeah, yeah it's it just neat for us because uh you don't see it and, much outside of our state and tons uh, of track work i mean oh my gosh yeah i mean and that's just how <laughs> this is i mean the steel mill is right along the uh susquehanna river for us right. and it looks it just has, like that yeah, I mean, it's just that's the same style of track work. It runs right along the front of the mill. If you go to Pittsburgh, um, you're going to see the same thing. Down Probably even a bigger, even more track. Right, right, exactly. And because um, they got those you know, three funky river names we can't ever pronounce, but Monongahela, uh, yeah, one of them, right? Uh, that's correct. Hey, yeah, you did better to me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and and that's that's indicative of of what you see in Pennsylvania, and, and it's a. Uh, yeah, it's 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 quite impressive, and and hopefully we're going to be able to share these with everybody. Um, sure. They're just amazing, uh, amazing amount of cars on this layout as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, the client really wanted a lot of uh, different rolling stock from periods of about thirty, I, I'd say, different years. Uh, I, I think he just he just fascinated with with every aspect of equipment that ran in the area, and and you know wanted it. Now, now you stated this was a, a static layout. Now it's not a it's yeah. not a, a working layout as far as um being able to run locomotives, right? No, there's there's no power hooked up to it and, okay. and it was never really designed in an operator's uh, frame of mind. It's is it's just a representation of, of this industry which he's fascinated with. It's a giant and, it's a big diorama. Yeah, it's a big diorama. And what's what's interesting about it is that it gave us a chance to build a lot of different structures that you wouldn't normally get a chance to build for a layout because of the mass of their size 
and and you know the scratch building and things like that. Uh, sure, the, right. You weren't focused as much on the operations of it and more of the modeling. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's very. I, I, I'm awestruck by it. Just just because it touches home for us. It's, so, it's a lesson in in industrial size. It's yeah, industrial the, the, buildings. The length, yeah, yes. the length of that one. Uh, and I'm not sure which building it is. It is. I don't know. Yeah, it must be 12 forever. or 13 car lengths long. Of, yeah. Uh, it is monstrous. So You can count the DPM sections. Um, <laughs> oh, like the modular DPM sections. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, a, it's a behemoth. It's it's big, and we had pictures to work with, and so I kind of incorporated some DPM stuff and some photo research and kind of put that all together. It was, it was, it was a very large structure. It comes apart in, in a couple pieces. And it's it's mammoth, you know. Yeah, it's, I love it. Um, now, what's neat about it is the river has hatches in it that drop down, so you can pop up in the middle of the river. Oh, cool. And the sections were delivered as a left side and a right side, uh, the left side being on one side of the river, the right side being on the other, and the river was put in to cover the seam, the table seam. And so uh, that was so the a river. Uh, the river's kind of a mask for the separator of the, uh-huh, of the diorama. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, and That's the sweet. other seams end to end, those all got buttered up and 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 covered. You you don't see where the seams are on the uh, uh, that that run that run the other direction. Well, it looks uh, fantastic. So You've also done a lot of smaller scale work as well. So you've done a bunch of end scale work that you sent us photos of as well. Do you find N-Scale um, more enjoyable, more challenging? Um, I know you've worked with everything from O-Scale down. So um, was this a bigger challenge for you or not? Um, I'm just and I'm just going down through the photos you've sent us. Sure. The, the challenge to me is to try and get your fingers in there and get all those little details you already know working with HO scale what what you can kind of max out at. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, you've got a customer who wants a really nicely detailed layout in N scale, and you have to figure out well what what am I going to see in N scale? What's going to show up? What isn't going to show up? And so I feel like having the skill, ability, talent to model an HO scale, you're like, oh, I can't do that in N scale. And you know, somebody's going to disagree with me, but it's like. Well, that's that's the best I can get out of that scale. It's so tiny. That's that's all you're going to get. It's right. pretty amazing. <laughs> it, it's truly amazing. But you do have you... to you do have to probably determine like what what the cutoff is for the amount of detail you can dive into with N scale. Right. Well, you know, professionally, it's a question of how much time do I have. Uh, personally, it's like what can I hold in tweezers? What actually is going to stick together? <laughs> um, <laughs> And say, same with weathering. I mean, you have to you, you can't weather the same in N scale as you can in, in HO. Or and even you can larger. Take, right. Or yeah. Or right. And and you know if you're trying to if you're trying to weather, you got to watch with N scale how much weathering you do because it'll you know it could overpower yeah, uh, the detail absolutely. itself. Absolutely. Yeah. The client that I that you see the pictures of the client wanted a Colorado themed. N scale layout. Well, you know, gee, am I the right guy for this project? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, 
I designed a, a laser cut uh, stamp mill for him based on some other stamp mills I've seen. I designed uh, a laser cut how truss. I designed a little laser cut log cabins. And then right. I built some other laser kits uh, for that structure. I think it took me more time to build the other guy's laser stuff than it did my stuff. <laughs> You're going to have no problem yeah. uh, making laser cut kits. The, the stamp mill looks incredible, seen. by the way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, that, that was a fun one to build. I, I, you can see I made a mock-up, and then I started building the thing, got all the grant line and titchy windows that I needed. and, and uh, Yeah, it fits on the hillside that you sent a photo of perfectly. Uh, well, you know, that's because I designed it. You know, when you get to design the structures. For that application. Yeah, it, it, it's your scratch building, and you're building to fit your site, which is, you know, something I've learned in model railroading and in professional model building. You've just got to figure that kind of stuff out so that it all works. Right. Now, you know, we talked a lot about structures, but one of the things I see on here as well that your your talents are extremely amazing at is your scenery uh, yeah. as well. Yeah, we don't want to slight um, the scenery work because that's no, just No, not as good. at all. I'm looking at an end scale um street scene right along a track i think it says parker's dry goods on the sign and there is a, a a tall tree next to it and if you zoom in on it you this is end scale and it looks almost like it's birch or or representing a birch it's got like a whitish trunk and it is extremely extremely well done You're talking about the bark the, on the tree yes the yeah. bark on the tree the actual foliage on the tree it, it is uh, you, you know. This is one of the best end scale trees I think I've seen. I mean, I, obviously, I, you I can... spent a lot of time, Todd, picking that tree out at the hobby shop. <laughs> <laughs> All that work you just did to build that up, oh, Dad, man, and... you spoiled it. Okay. Oh, no, wow. no, but no, I don't care. It looks great. Uh, you know. You, There's a you, company called JTT Tree, and there's, they, they, they make like an architectural grade, architectural model grade tree uh, for a number of different scales in the hobby. And I, we had some at the, at the train shack, and I brought some of these trees up and planted them on the layout. So, uh, you know, they're lovingly made. Uh, in a foreign country where <laughs> wire and painting it and dropping some foliage on, and they do some really nice commercial work that sometimes we can't duplicate easily. I, I've I've seen JT's products and they they are extremely well done. So yeah. So um, trees aside, uh, yeah. the rock work you did, which I'm more fascinated with because I've just done a ton of rock work on. Um, a, a seawall that we have that's pretty long. Um, was all the rock work you did custom on that end scale layout that you were talking that you had shared with us? Well, it's it's custom, but to under to, to give you a better uh, explanation of what uh, what we're using there, uh, Joel Bragdon has a, a product called Bragdon's Geodesic Foam, okay. and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a resin based rock casting system as opposed to plaster. Okay, and so. Uh, we use uh, rock molds just like anybody else, but we pour resin into them. We do actually make silicone rock molds. The rock molds uh, are very expensive to make out of silicone, but we use them on some much larger projects. 
and it doesn't require as much mold release. I don't recommend that any, everybody run out and do this unless they feel <laughs> right. comfortable um, buying and using silicone. Right. But pour the resin in there, put that stuff all together. My biggest thing is I want my dirt to match my rocks. Mm-hmm. And so I went out and found... I went out and found the the dirt I was going to use, and then I painted the rocks to match it. Now, you'll obviously notice that the orange rocks coming out of there don't match. That was some mine tailings that I bought that I really wanted to have that color. When you go up into the mining country, you see tailings that aren't the same color as the rock works on the outside. So that's a little different. Yeah. Well, the rocks, it's, it's all looks fantastic, and... Uh... Thanks. The, the tailings alone, if you didn't point out that they were a different color, um, when you look at the scene as a whole, um, you really can't tell the difference. I mean, you can see there's a color difference, but it's it doesn't. It's not like it's not an eyesore at all. They should be a different color, though. That's that's well, on yeah. purpose. Yeah, right, right. But it, but it still blends so, into the scene, and it, and it makes sense with what oh, what you have great there. Stuff. I'm looking at a river scene here right now, <clears throat> and uh, it has a bridge in the background. Oh and, sure, uh, it's it's it looks like you know ro- a rocky riverbed, and it's gorgeous. Your waterwork is amazing through there. I mean, obviously, uh, you know this comes from you know, professional experience, but that looks like a real scene. I, I've seen lots of water scenes, but this one really pops. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's really really cool. And you show wet rock and dry rock and. Um, that's another key feature that a lot of people forget is some of the water or some of the rockets exposed. It looks like it has a little bit of a, it has that wet look, you know, mm-hmm. up, up from it a little right. bit and then it dries out. It's very, very well done. It's all very, very detailed. So that rock work is just, uh, that river work to kind of get that to happen is, is basically the same pile of dirt that I found is in, and getting it sifted in the right places and located Mm-hmm. And once all of the gravel was in there, I took a light wash of green acrylic craft paint. And I color matched it to some aerial photos I had from Colorado. And I put this green wash in the bottom of the rockwork or, or, or the stream bed. And right. so that's where that green color comes from. And then it's just Woodland Scenics realistic water put over the top of it. Never had to tint the water. It's all gravel pre-painted before the realistic water went on and it really has a nice translucent oh yeah look to it with without a lot of effort and then some glossy white uh rapids pretty simple yeah i mean it's one thing to model water on a a, uh we're doing a bay or you know um a chesapeake bay area and so you know where you don't have a lot of rock except along along the waterfront and it's another thing to do water on a, a stream bed. Um, it's a whole different style of water um, you know, modeling. And um, your, you know, your detail on this is, 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 is rare to see this. I've seen it on another uh, layout from um, Trackside Modeler. Um, I guess that's Joey Ricard. I guess he does. Okay. And um, he, he is the modeler. Joey Ricard has done... Um, he did an O-scale layout. It was at the expo in Altoona two years ago. And oh. um, Brett and I saw that. And it was it, it, it's an O-scale layout that he brought and set up. But mm-hmm. 
Um, he does backdrops. That's what he he does. Back, um, photographic backdrop scenery. He sells the backdrops themselves. And mm -hmm. uh, but but he also did a layout. And yours and his were probably the two finest looking road beds. I mean, a water of uh, creek beds that I've ever seen or river beds that Shops, I've ever that... seen. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So that's it. Um, if you don't mind, we're going to actually transition and this is something you've probably heard on the show. So this will be fun for you, Jake. Um, <laughs> we have a couple, we have two questions from our patrons, which you're a patron as well. Uh, if you don't mind, would you an mind answering, uh, and becoming part of our show here again with the patron only questions of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So <laughs> I'm sure you're aware of the one, uh, Lynn McCurdy. He, he always comes up with some good content. Um, he has asked you what he's in your neck of the woods. Yeah. He's out near you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he is. I, I don't think I've met him, but I'm sure we've been to the same train shows. I'm sure you have, uh, He's asking what it's like working in a model train store and what's the most common question you get asked uh, working at a model train store? Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't have pictures of it, but about 12 years ago, I worked on a store display layout at the train shack and it's still there. And I was there for about two and a half months just doing scenery. And the question is, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do the rock work? How do you do the paint? They want to know how all these scenic materials are used. And I think that's the biggest thing, people coming into the store. How do you use all these different scenic materials? And, you know, we would show them what we used and direct them over to the other corner of the store that had scenic material. And they would, uh, you know, eventually make a purchase. So, so I don't they know. see what you did awesome. and then they become intrigued on how – you use um, the the products available to make yeah. something look like what you did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an asset to sales in a hobby shop to have somebody on hand that can actually explain, you know, what how best to use the products on, especially on a professional level. And, and you know, rarely do you find that in a lot of hobby shops. And um, Wow, that's a that's actually huge. Well, I I haven't worked at the store for a number of years. Where we build the train layouts is in a, a separate facility, so I don't get to answer as many of those questions. But <laughs> they do see the layouts, and enough of the store personnel are familiar with the products that mm -hmm. went into them. So it's really nice to see, as a customer, a well put together layout that you're not embarrassed about. Right. And. How'd they do that? Well, here's the stuff. It really kind of breaks down some of the mystery for folks. Right. And, and it also has, you know, kind of spurred uh, the store owners to, uh, you know, have open dialogue with people about having custom layouts built for their homes. Yeah, right. that's great. So That's awesome. I, I, that's um, Now, um, with the uh, a, a, dis a display like that, did, do they – at the train shack there, do they do they list you as a miler? Like, do you have a sign there on some of the displays that say this no. is built by Jake Johnson? Or no, I suppose I should probably do a little shameless self promotion, but uh, <laughs> haven't haven't gotten that far yet. Um, yeah, 
Lastly, people start to ask questions and they refer over to uh, Brian, who's a store owner, and Brian right. uh, takes them through the process and 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 tries to figure out who who really wants to do this and get all their specifications laid out, what their room is like, what kind of trains they want to run, what scale, what radius, all those things kind of. Oh, that's awesome. Out. Yeah. Now he, um, so, you know, the people that work there obviously are very, uh, are very familiar with things. And, and if, if need be, and they had a question, you know, you, they could always ask you and, and sure, give sure. the information to them, which is, which is really, yeah. really cool. Uh, and that's what I was, that's what I was getting at when you say a lot of, Hobby shops, no offense. I mean, there's a lot of hobby shops out there that are. There's a couple awesome ones I've been to that, where they do get it, uh, the fine scale end of things. Um, but then there's also a lot out there where, and I'm not trying to knock any hobby shop, but there's a lot out there that they just sell the stuff, you know, and then they, you know, they may have a focus on RC cars or something else. They have other hobbies in there. And, um, and you're talking about a place that specializes in bottle railroading, you know? Yeah, flat uh, out. they're mostly, mostly a, a three-rail shop, but they've got HO and N-scale stuff. Mm -hmm. And having a store that's committed to the artistry of model railroading, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important. Uh, and, and some business owners, they either get that or, or they don't. Not everyone is an artist in, in this hobby Right. And uh, they're going to get more out of electronics or some other aspect of the hobby. Sure. And I think that the art, art, the artistry has an initial eye appeal that gets people hooked. And, and I think that's what kind of makes right. the hobby interesting. And, and for us, for all of us, this sure. is, you oh, know, yeah. this, we, we like to, we, we all, we all say we are model railroaders, which we are. However, for us, it's, the artistry and and for somebody else it might not be it, it there's many avenues like you said there's the electronics yeah. there's the, you know some people just like to run the trains the operations um mm -hmm. and some people that combine them all and we have several of them that are regular listeners and some uh, patrons that are into uh, the whole shebang and they're very good sure, at it sure. so you know it's, that's 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 really neat that's a great thing about this uh about the hobby is that you know uh, when you came, you came to the expo, and you walked through, and and you could, you, I'm sure you noticed right away, you, you didn't see a train there. <laughs> well, and I had been kind of primed for that already. <laughs> uh, you're not going to see, and and I'm okay with that. I, I mean, yeah. I knew what I had been following the sh the expo show for a few years now, and it was kind of uh, I don't want to say it was on my bucket list, but it was on my list of, you know, I need to get out to this show, mm -hmm. and and uh, really figure out what's going on with, with structures. Now, like I said, I've been to the narrow gauge convention. They talk a lot about structures and models and rolling stock and, and layouts and all that stuff. So they're, they're pretty close cousins. So none of it was a surprise, but it just was nice to just go into another level of depth with, uh, with, with the show and the model making. And, and I, I really enjoyed it. So there's, there's some true artists that were there and, and, uh, some of those same guys that have, uh, you know that that were vendors there also go to the narrow gauge show mm -hmm. and uh so that's i mean you probably saw some of the same people but, yeah yeah you know it's it, you're right i mean it, it, it's uh it's it's really neat and when you walk in and you see everybody's displays of the kits they're trying to sell and i've, I've talked about this countless times on the show um you know it's it's truly 
an art form each one of those places you walk by um, right. and, and and how they modeled it it's just amazing and right there is the artist and right in front yeah of you, yeah you know that's pretty cool so yeah it, it, it really wasn't set up like a swap meet kind of a train show i mean this is kind of a yes. uh a, a very um, uh, what's so curated train show, yeah. if you will. Right, right. I, I'm going to encourage you, since we're talking about this, to take a road trip to Sacramento or a plane trip to Sacramento and go to the next narrow gauge convention. See if it's the kind of thing where you guys can set up a table. I really think that HO Scale Customs has a little, uh, you know, uh, a little place in the narrow gauge world that uh, people are going to appreciate in the ah. very much the same way. You guys would find that you were in good company among uh craftsman narrow gauge modelers okay so yeah, that may be that may be a very good option for us we and, will we'll start we'll start checking in on the narrow gauge um shows and conventions and see if there's any we can hop out to yeah but, the nationals are in sacramento this mm -hmm. year or i'm sorry next year and they're right next to the california state railroad museum which is a really amazing oh, world oh, railroad cool. museum all oh, right that'd be, that'd be awesome now that it, we have some other listeners that are very much into the narrow gauge as well. And, some are um, out in your area as well. Yeah. Sure. Right. And and also uh, we, we, we have a lot of military modeler people uh, that are, that, that pick up. And that's the other thing. Yeah. It's, it's funny we that when we started this, we, we thought it was just going to be people interested in model railroading and trains. And we've actually right. picked up a pretty decent following of, of, uh, of modelers that do, uh, Military modeling and other types yeah. of modeling as well, but yeah. military modeling is a pretty big thing, and and we didn't really realize it in the beginning. I'm impressed with the level of quality of paint and, and detail and modeling in the military community. I, I uh, we're kind of fortunate that our models move. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> static uh, that that uh, in that hobby, but um, those hobbies, but. Uh, the, the the craftsmanship and the research and the artistry and they go into paint uh levels and when i say levels i mean levels of detail levels of lingering and and exploring that i i can't even imagine going into as a model railroader or yeah. as a professional model builder it's like oh my gosh the painstaking approach yeah they go into they go in the shades of of they go into the exact shades of color that i Honestly, I don't have the patience for, and, and I and commend you, them for it. I, com I, commend, like I commend them for it endlessly because I I like the freedom to be able to like choose. Okay, I want to just I just want to use that color today, and they don't have that freedom. They have to they have to actually do a lot of research on the exact yeah. shade of color. It's amazing, and, and they're trying to replicate those colors under sunlight, which right. we as modelers should do the same thing. <laughs> yeah but uh trying to create an outdoor uh portrayal uh in sunlight of these colors mm -hmm. yeah and I, I that that's important and if you look at the qual the the paints and and the brands of paints that they use and you look at the different shades that are available to them uh in oh, military yeah. modeling paints it's insane they'll have like Panzer gray, Panzer blue, pan and it's like three, six different shades of Panzer blue, and um, and I don't know anything. I, I get about lost. Or I get lost right away on that. Yeah, it's something I want to try. But I love try. it. I love looking at what they do. Yeah. So yeah. hey, yeah. before we get carried away, let's do yeah. one more question from our, own, sure. our our last question from our patrons. It's from um, Chris Hoffman. 
he was asking what your favorite scale and eras are to model. Um, so he, well, what's your favorite I, scale I, uh, and what's your favorite era? Uh, my 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 favorite scale is SN three, and right. a lot of the models that were bought out by uh, um, PBL. You get on their website. Um, PBL. Okay. PBL. Yeah, Peterbilt Locomotive Works. Um, some great folks making some really nice products. Uh, shameful plug. Sorry. No, we'll, um, link, we'll link to them. Yeah. And era that I like. Um, I've been kind of an RGA, a Real Grand Southern and Denver and Real Grand fan. I've, I've got a Dan, Denver and Real Grand Modeler Circle Facebook page. I like that era from like the 30s to the early 50s of, of the narrow gauge. But I also like the era of narrow gauge right around the turn of the century and maybe standard gauge where you've got box headlights, diamond stacks, fluted domes, wooden cabs. Mm -hmm. you, you might have a wooden pilot. You might be burning coal or wood. That whole era of, of uh, post-transcontinental to turn of the century railroading to me just, just, uh, just really appeals to me. And, and it's very difficult to do in, in SN3, uh, but, you know, given more time and effort, I, I, I'd, I'd uh, steer myself in, in those two directions. Okay. And we've talked about every scale on the planet tonight, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to hear anybody say, you... HS scale, customs, all they talk about is HS scale. Right, so we covered right. everything tonight, man. We went from N well, scale all the way up to O. So that's, yeah. we, we, we've covered the spectrum. And last week, we talked about T gauge. Yeah. Which T gauge. I don't know what that is. I've heard of TT, but never, never just one T. T is I forget what it was. It was like, tiny. It was like one four, <laughs> one four twenty seventh or something. I mean, I'm, everyone's gonna get mad at me because I'm gonna get that wrong. But T was T is just something crazy. It's it's insane. Yeah. Well, to throw another log on your G scale fire, uh, there's FN three, which is. Uh, Three foot narrow gauge on forty five millimeter track, and there's guys that are doing F standard gauge. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and so uh, that that really kind of muddies the water in that that uh, that thing there. But one reason I really like SN three is when you model the end of a car, not the side, but the end of a piece of rolling stock. The grab irons are the right size. The couplers are the right size. The air hoses are the right size. The coupler lift bars are there. All that stuff in S scale. Gets modeled. You you go down into HON three and you lose it. You yeah. go into ON three, you can still get it, but now you got a bigger model. So um, right. So it's that, small that, enough. It's small enough to be more, a little more compact. But when you go into ON three, it's a little bigger. Yeah, yeah. And guys in ON three are really fighting a real estate issue. A lot of selective compression goes on in O scale, where guys are like, oh, I got to make this depot shorter. I got to make this yard shorter. I've only got so much room. For bench work, so I can only put so many tracks parallel between the edge of the bench work to the scenic backdrop. I, I just, I don't want to knock anybody that's doing O scale. I just, for me, as as a as a builder, designer, craftsman, yeah, just uh, I look at the scale and it's like, oh, it, it has a massive HO standard gauge, but the, the, the models are narrow gauge. So, oh wow, it's now, uh, it's cool because you kind of get you get you get the the detail. Of a larger scale, mm -hmm. but you have the space that's freed up a little bit more with a smaller scale. So it's a nice, me it's yeah. a nice happy yeah. medium. Really is. 
So. You do just about any style because we've gone from we've gone from uh, Disney models uh, to well Mattel models to Disney models to uh, a steel mill um, or and, and yeah a uh, stamp mill and then you have um, uh, the river beds and the scenery we talked about with the end scale layout as well and then uh, but one of the things I want to talk about. Uh, real quick before we wrap up. Well, actually, two things. Um, one is something you showed me at the show, and I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. That's at Santa Barbara O-Scale Depot. Oh, sure. I can talk about that. That thing is amazing. <laughs> That's what you showed me at the, at the when we were standing there at the Hilton Bar. And uh-huh. um, that is phenomenal. It's a stucco-style, Spanish-style uh, uh, architecture, and it's just amazing amazing work i love the detail you you put into it i love the the paint scheme that you did because uh, it makes it look it's so realistic oh man uh, i'm staring at it now and i'm drooling it's really cool now what's that scale is that's an o scale that's an o scale. I, I just said it o scale Duh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a client come to us and said i, I want a santa barbara depot for my uh, overhead railroad so it, it it's on a shelf inside their home and, uh, you know, when I hear about these projects coming down the pipeline, the first thing I think of is, where am I going to find drawings? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm going to have to draw this myself. Well, there was a book in the library that had uh, drawings of uh, Southern Pacific Depot. So I oh. checked the book out. I uh, made the plans uh, in Illustrator based on the plans that were in the book. And then I sent them to my laser guy, and he cut the parts out for me. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm building this depot. Right. And uh, laser cut windows, all the laser cut arches, uh-huh. uh, a lot of the laser cut trim, some dollhouse molding. Mm-hmm. He even did the little letters for me. And so having photos, having plans, really made it come to life. You know, as far as a research and scratch building project. Right. And then the product that I use for the uh, for the stucco finish is is from a company called Nova Color, and Nova Color is in Culver City, and they make a texture paste that has no pumice in it. It is just a very stiff white acrylic, and I stippled that on, huh. and some paint and some washes on it. You've probably seen an updated photo on the pictures I sent you guys. Yes. And uh, once it got weathered, it just looks so much better. Oh my gosh, it's 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 amazing. And you and you you know you want, when you weathered it, it's it just it pops out. You can see the stucco in it, and it, it just it looks natural rather than seeing grains of you know it looks like some of the stucco I see looks like sand, and well, it doesn't I, have that. It has it has it looks like stucco. Yeah, yeah, it scales out really well. Yeah, I, I want to use some of those uh, pumice-based uh, texture products, and I and I, I'm kind of leaning back towards this Nova Color stuff. Gorgeous. I got a funny story about that product. Uh, we were working on a puppet show, and they painted a giant piece of plywood black, and then put all the structures around it and all the grass and everything else, and then they lit it and shot it. And you can see the pattern of the plywood right on the, oh, the wow. uh, right on the pavement. <laughs> and the art director was just furious. He's like, "You got to use texture paste on those roads. <laughs> you can't 
can't just put that plywood out there without painting it. And luckily I wasn't the painter and didn't do it. And then it was kind of uh, kind of out of his control when it happened. But it was in the opening <laughs> credits of the show. And so oh you gosh. saw this plywood glare on the black pavement every time. And it just drove him nuts. And so this is the product that we used to get rid of that. And we would put it on with a roller, a really fine foam roller, and roll that stuff out on a, a lot of different surfaces to kind of camouflage their original uh, their original texture. But it's a very stiff, thick acrylic without any uh, pumice-type additives in it. So. Right. right. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Now, um is that is that something that would work with HS scale or oh absolutely yeah absolutely it just all what happens is the last brush stroke that you put in it is the way it dries it doesn't okay. really level you can't put it on super thick but you could definitely do that um, I've used it where I've uh, wanted to create wood grain texture on some larger scales and I just drag the brush in the direction I want the wood grain to go and it creates wood grain with the brush stroke, and it stays, like I say, just after you, it stays in the same position after your, its last brush before it dries. And then you can go add washes and colors, and now you've got this wood grain brushed-on texture, three-dimensional, that uh, that you can use for stuff. Right. Oh, that is super cool. Very cool. Is, is there, is there a, is, does he sell that to the, to the general... Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you um, need to go on the Nova Color website, and it's it's white acrylic texture paste. All right. I'm going to write that down. and maybe We'll, we'll have it in the show notes. Well. Okay, that'd be great. White acrylic um, texture paste. From no. Nova. Got to get the Nova Color stuff. The other products out there are good. This one just happens to be my favorite. Yeah, I use the uh, Liquitex uh, um, stucco already on a lighthouse, and, and it was okay. I mean, I liked how it turned out. However, now I'm seeing this, and I'm like, wow, my next light. I have a couple more lighthouses to build. and um, They're not all I'm going gonna... on the layout. <laughs> no, 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 they're not. I'm, I'm actually going to build one and, and uh, do a shelf display uh, for myself at the house here. But You, uh, you take that stuff and, and run some really light sandpaper over it and knock down any excess texture before you get into the painting and weathering uh, of the final thing. And, and uh... Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Now, now one of the last things I want to talk to you here about on, on your photos I'm looking at, and it's something that I've seen a lot, I've seen it on your Facebook as well, is, um, and you put it on our on our Facebook, um, is JC's Drive-In. Yeah. Okay. Ah, yes. And that's, is that something new you've done? Yeah. And I love it because it, one, one of the neat, unique things is before I let you get into it that I, that I thought was fascinating besides the, the artistry of the of the the style that you put into it it's like, almost like a art deco and um, uh, the movie screen is amazing but the movie screen from what I understand if I read everything right was that you can put an iPad into the back of it and show the movies real That's movies right. on it that's, that's so you, cool. The, the, a white piece of plastic that you see is the screen. It comes out. You slide the iPad in there, and there's a couple of pieces that push the iPad right up against the the back of the screen, so it holds it in place. I love it. <laughs> and, then, and you can play a movie on it. That is so yeah. cool. Then it becomes a real yeah. drive-in. Yeah, absolutely real, like G scale drive-in. <laughs> so I, I did a lot of. 
What's yeah, I, and you know, I, I really kind of over engineered that product, and I, I I don't know how to market that, but uh, oh, if somebody calls Lord. me up tomorrow, we'll cut them one and send them the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you people that have an iPad that you've been sitting around, you haven't, you don't use it anymore, or whatever, um, or you've moved on to a different iPad, uh, and you had the old one. That might be an idea down the road, and, uh, and look into Jake's products, <laughs> when whatever if he ever puts one out. Uh, yeah. Wow, that is amazing! I love it. It's it's, it's genius. And then I love the marquee uh, sign that you've done. It says Tombstone here on it, and you said those letters are uh, are changeable. Yeah. So here's here's how that came about. I. I uh... The customer wanted to be able to have multiple titles. He's in the entertainment industry, and he, he's got some movies that he's uh, been responsible for, and he's also got some friends that he likes to rib about their movies. And so he wanted some different titles, and so he wanted them to complement the films that he's going to play in his front yard when people come and see his Christmas display. So the letters are glued to a piece of clear plex, and they're on a you know a clear plexi piece that's the size of that sign. They slide out, and then you just slide another one in, and it's got all the letters already registered in the in the in the same place. Oh and wow! Fit right in there. So I designed all that in Adobe Illustrator, and then had my guy laser cut it for me. That's so cool. Yeah. Love it, and I love your yeah. use of uh, Illustrator or Photoshop to do some custom work because I I am all about uh, doing custom sign work or custom graphics work just because of the nature of my normal job uh, with creating custom signs or custom graphics in either of those programs. Yeah, yeah they're, they're a lot of fun to do that with. and It, and, it makes everything so unique, too, with your buildings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it just, you know, if anybody has an inkling to get a computer program to use for structure building, that's the one. And it's subscription-based, so you're not having to yeah. outlay a fortune to buy it right now. Yeah, you don't have to lay out. 800 bucks to buy photoshop or illustrator like you used to have to um yeah you could just buy it on a you know i think i don't even know what it is per month right now but there's a yeah yeah, it's like 20 bucks a month and you can just make some killer killer artwork for your layout and um it's unlimited it's really whatever your your whatever you can come up with you can make it Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. there's a learning curve obviously but but um it's manageable and 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 the amount of the amount of uh I'm sure you've resorted to this as much as I have in my professional career as well. The amount of uh, tutorials on learning how to do whatever you need to with Illustrator or Photoshop on YouTube are endless. So yeah. as much yeah. as I like to profess that I know everything that I need to do need to to create what I do, uh, YouTube is still an endless library of uh, of still learning. I never stop yeah. learning. But and 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 for anyone out there that needs you know, they might pick up a program like that, uh, YouTube, or just Google. You'll learn everything you need to to make custom signs. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a lot of great <laughs> stuff out there. Definitely. For that. Yeah. So well, that's a... I think we've covered uh, a ton in this episode, we're, and we're approaching the two-hour mark on this. So yeah. um, <laughs> we appreciate your time, Jake. And uh, Sure. I'm, I'm it's sure, absolutely fascinating. I'm sure this uh, won't the be the last time we talk with you. Uh, oh, no way. And Jake is a, yeah. a patron, too. So yes. we, uh, we appreciate that. And um, we're glad that you that you uh, enjoy being, you know, talking here with us uh, tonight. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you had a good time. 
Absolutely. And, um, <laughs> we we love uh, seeing your work, and we're glad that you uh, you you know you share your work on our on our site as well, which is which is on, on our Facebook page. And um, you know we appreciate that very much. But uh, yeah, that's um, absolutely. Um, we're glad we're glad to have you aboard yeah. with HSGO Customs. Super. We love it. Yeah. Like I said, it, we'd like to have you on again because I'd like to talk some techniques from you. Sure. The ones sure. you can share and that type of thing. Oh, um, and uh we'd definitely love to have you on again actually soon. I would like to do that again soon. Excellent. So, Excellent. Yeah, we'll talk about laser cutting and Oh, uh, that'd be all that'd be sweet. And and uh, you know, some places I've been where I really think it'd be fun to model. And we don't, I, I never talked to you about the kind of music I listen to when I'm modeling. So, that's... Oh. <laughs> hey, real quick, actually, before we do that, I want to talk about, we could do that real quick right now. Uh, yeah. So we'll do that before we end the show. Um, and we'll let you start out with it. What have you been listening to recently? What's your music selection? Okay. There's a couple of bands that play music in the streets of New Orleans and in some of the bars in the French Quarter and on Frenchman Street. Tuba Skinny is one of them. Okay. And another band called the Shotgun Jazz Band. And they play this really hot jazz music from uh, in the same fashion that it was played in the 20s and 30s. And oh, it, it wow. kind of predates the sort of swing big band World War II era uh, music. And it has a great soulful sound. A lot of it is fast. Some of it's slow and some ballads, but just some great music and storytelling and jazz and improvisation. I, I really, I, I just love that angle of, of jazz music. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I had a chance to go down to the uh, uh, French Quarter Fest in New Orleans. And I'm sitting there uh, listening to music and then trying to take pictures of old building architecture because I think <laughs> New Orleans is a great looking place weathered and run down buildings and Things like that. So I I love I love listening to jazz. I mean, it, it, it's we like I've done that at my bench. We like uh, a wide variety of music, so I'm gonna have to yeah. check that out. Yeah, yeah. You can see their music on YouTube. There's there's you can buy their albums on Bandcamp. Okay. But uh, Tuba Skinny and Shotgun Jazz Band are, are are two real favorites of mine. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you. Yes. I, I will let you know that I this is not music. But I have been recently addicted to another podcast, and it is—it's hilarious. Now, it's not for the kids' ears, I will say. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's not terrible. It's not—it's not—it's not really vulgar. They just swear occasionally, um, but it's not—it's not in a way that's like over the top. Uh, yeah. But it's—it's it's a podcast called The Dollop, and. Uh, it's two comedians, and they talk about just the craziest. Sto- they find like stories of things that happened in the past, and they run through the whole story of of this story during the show. And they're comedians, so they put their own little twist on it. And uh, I, there's like 300 some episodes. So it's going to take me forever to get through it, which I'm excited about. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I, but I got hooked on them today, just as as just this just the other day. I mean. Uh, as a suggested podcast based on other things I've listened to. And the um, the one I listened to today that got me hooked immediately was uh, from, like, back from one of the original episodes. It's called uh, on, on the Dollop Podcast. It's uh, called The Tank Chase. And it's from a night. They, they tell the whole story of this guy's life that led that police chase back in 1995 out in uh, San Diego. Of the police, okay. the police tank chase. Uh, 
like where the guy stole the wow. tank and drove it through the town. Well, they went through <laughs> they went through his whole life story. Somehow they found this guy's whole like biography. I don't know where, but uh, they they <laughs> they broke down this guy's whole story of what led up to that tank chase with the police. Uh, it's hilarious. It's a hilarious podcast. So I've been hooked on that, and I'll be listening to that for quite some time but they take stories like that and they break them down in just a really funny comedic way and since it's christmas i've been listening to rat pack ah. uh christmas tunes because uh, i'm a big yeah. frank sinatra d martin kind of guy <laughs> Love it. yeah yeah so i would kind of listen to that and some baby it's cold outside yeah, for whoever exactly. doesn't like that so <laughs> Please, <laughs> we're not getting into that. But don't don't, I love don't that add song, us so. if we listen to that. <laughs> but anyhow, um, I've been into that and and some ACDC last night. So <laughs> they don't have a Christmas album. They may have. Who knows anymore? No, but but again, thank you very much. I'm gonna get back to. Uh, I have to finish up a job here as a nurse, and um, I I will. Uh, I thank you again, uh, Jake, for all for all your uh, uh, your time tonight and sharing with us everything you have. And uh, it was great having you on. Yes, it was much appreciated, Jake. And uh, we look forward to having you on. We will be having you on again, if you don't mind. Absolutely, right. sounds great. All right, that was an awesome interview. We want to thank Jake Johnson for being on the podcast with us, and we will definitely have him back for some modeling related stuff now. So. Uh, it was a busy night. Again, make sure you can head on over to our voicemail line. You can call us at oh, let me get the number up here. It is 717-601-2348 and leave us a message. If it's good or if it's a good question or a topic, we will play it on the show. As always though, our patrons will get first dibs on the topics of the week. So uh, the voicemails will be played at the end of the show. We'll do like a roll call of messages from people around the world. So we're looking forward to hearing from you guys. Um, as always, you can check out our Patreon our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash HOSCL Customs. And if you don't want to become a patron, uh, the best thing you can do is uh, you just head on over to iTunes or um, Spotify or wherever you're listening to this on and give us a five-star rating. We would love that just as much. It means just as much to us, and uh, it just shows that you, you love us. You really do love us. So... We hope everyone has a great weekend, and uh, peace out. We are going to call this one a night.